Good morning and welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Susie. Hello. And Chrissy. Hello. And Craig. Hello. And joining us from the earthquake-ravaged remains of Christchurch <laughs> is our cheer entity, Gold. Hello. And we are going to interview Gold and he's going to join in and criticise everything that we do for the first half of the podcast. And then we'll cut him off. Yeah, Yeah. Well, he's on Skype, so we can just... um, Cut him off. Yeah, easy. No (laughs) worries. So, we have some feedback from a listener. Uh, This is from Paul, and he's talking about the triangle of life, inverted commas, BS email that's been doing the rounds in Christchurch. And he's given us a couple of links. Um, And the triangle of life. Essentially, he's suggesting that when buildings fall over in earthquakes they have walls that fall against other walls or um, things that fall against other things that then give you a gap a triangular gap underneath and if you stand beside one of these things then you will be saved by the fact that something else will fall against it and protect you or lie down perhaps yes and basically it's a load of crap actually it's not entirely all crap Okay. If you check the Snopes.com site, they've actually covered this article at length, and uh, Snopes reported as being a mixture of of crap and reasonably good advice. The the yeah. guy claiming it though made some um, made some claims that that were not true about his own personal history, um, the things he claimed to have been involved in, he hadn't actually been involved in. Okay. But as well, I think it's worth pointing out that even if some of the information in the email is true it's probably best just to ignore him in general and get your advice from people like the um, Snopes well Snopes yes or yeah. um, <laughs> uh, civil defence for example or you know, rescue organisations and whatnot. yes standing in, um, standing in a doorway seems to be uh, a time tested method of yes. um, now they or do getting under desks or yeah they do tell you to get under desks and tables don't they hmm. yeah yes, which is different to what he tells you which is what lying next to it or something yeah yeah lying next to things instead of strange anyway you guys can look that up for yourselves so that was our feedback from our listener thank you listener we uh, we might put some links up in the links section so you can go and look at some blogs that have uh, discussed it in much better detail fraudster doctor a student of deception. Uh, a Nigerian drug smuggler who duped authorities to get a job in a New Zealand hospital sorry who duped authorities to get a job in New Zealand as a hospital psychiatrist came across as friendly and plausible but secretive so this guy got a job working for the Canterbury District Health Board from January 2009 until August this year that is 2010 after failing to disclose he'd been jailed in Britain for importing 4.5 kg of cannabis. Which, as far as I can tell, doesn't have anything to do with the fact that he's a psychiatrist. He is actually a psychiatrist, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And there's nothing in here about whether he was doing a good job or not. The only problem seems to be that he imported some cannabis. Well, and well no, he, he failed to disclose he failed to disclose that he'd had a criminal okay. record. 
Probably because they wouldn't have let him in in the first place, I'm guessing. He had also uh, fabricated documents covering the time period when yeah. he was actually in jail. Yes, quite right. Yes, so, okay, so that's... Um... And they were, they were job references for that time period. From Nigeria, yes. Right. And, of course, the, reason, the main reason we're bringing this up on the podcast is because... He was identified he been, as being a member, a member of, of the Christchurch Skeptics in the pub. pub. Indeed. It just so happens that we have with us the creator of New Zealand Skeptics in the pub and the man that runs the Christchurch Skeptics in the pub, Gold. Yes, I don't actually remember this guy at all. And looking at the meetup.com details for the guy, he only ever registered or RSVP'd yes to three events, and the last of those was way back in May 2010, just in case you're listening to this podcast in the future. So you don't remember seeing him at all? You don't recognise the photo? Um, No. No, I don't. So while he's RSVP'd yes, he may not have actually shown up to any events. So, yeah, a bit of time with Google could have... Uh, dug that information up. The, you were saying before that they did actually call you and ask you questions or just for his contact details? Uh, Jared, the guy that authored the article, um, he sent me email basically asking for contact details to this guy and not knowing what it was about or, well, just the fact that there was this random guy asking me details about a random guy that I may have uh, access to. I'm not the sort of person to hand out details, so I passed Jared's details on to uh, this guy whose name I can never pronounce. And that was pretty much the last I heard of it. But Jared heard about it through Toby, who runs the Christchurch Atheist Video Nights. Which he'd also been to. That was one of the events he RSVP'd yes for. But again, um, I don't remember him. Toby may but uh, Toby's not here. Still, nothing wrong with criminals coming along to sceptics in the pub. Well, no, there's no, no reason why he couldn't have come along. And um, and he had served his time. Yes, that is a good point. Yes, indeed. And it was in... Paid his um, debt to society. 1999. 1999. So, you know, you can't stop people from doing stuff. And yeah. it was only four and a half kilograms of cannabis. So let's put things in perspective. Yes. Um, he has been a member of the Christchurch Skeptics in the Pub, which among its core activities studies mechanisms of deception. Bit of a stretch on behalf of the reporter, I yes. think, but yes, well. <laughs> and I said the group offered excellent opportunity to meet like-minded people. And when he's saying like-minded people, I'm pretty sure he's not saying drug smugglers. <laughs> it's quite people possible. People who fake their CVs. <laughs> it's quite possible that this man is also uh, interested in scepticism. Okay, um, I am just looking at Chidozi's meetup.com profile and his quote for this meetup group is that quote in the paper. Excellent opportunity to meet like They copy and pasted from the website into their paper. Well, that's hardly surprising. Apparently he was a really nice guy too, so all this newspaper articling seems a bit excessive if you ask me, but... I guess news is news. Um, and speaking of news, which just seems newsy because it's news, is this Tamaki um, article. Now, I don't know if you guys have read this one or not. Tamaki linked to US sex case bishop, which apparently um, makes sense if you're a headline writer. Okay, I'll start from the beginning. There's a, there's a guy, yeah, Bishop Eddie Long, who's a well-known preacher in Atlanta. And in a megachurch. Brian Tarmaki has referred to him as his spiritual father. 
um, whatever that means, probably means something to them, uh, and that this bishop, Eddie Long, has been accused of sexually assaulting young men. Including bringing them here to New Zealand for, for a trip. Oh, is that right? Okay, I missed that bit. So, as far as I can tell, Brian Tamaki seems to be guilty of making friends with someone who then did something wrong. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure why this is worthy of a news article, to be honest, because... Well, it's Brian just Tamaki showing hasn't that, done anything. No, I know, but Brian Tamaki's spiritual leader is a man who is accused of um, assaulting young men. I mean, I think that's just shows what a spiritual leader and perhaps what... Um, it wasn't even necessarily assault, but it does seem to be uh, rather hypocritical. Well, it's been... Well, yes, and it, yeah. seems, and it seems to have been about basically grooming these young men. They, they, are, they go into some kind of... Um, club club for young men um, and then this man grooms them and abuses them and he brought some of them on a trip to New Zealand yes so uh, but yeah. still well, well the news media the news media does seem to have a thing against Brian Tamaki yes and, and so. to be fair so do we but <laughs> in this case you're not defending Brian Tamaki are you in this case I'm just not quite sure why the, the article well, seems to be... Well, sling some mud and it might yeah, stick. Indeed. Seems indeed. to be written in a, in a tone that seems very accusatory to me. Hmm. And I'm not quite hmm. sure why or if it's necessarily In other justified. words, if there's anybody who's been abused by Brian Tamaki, put your hand up not now! now. Yeah. Well, yes. Yes, that would be an interesting news article. What would be interesting is asking the people that have been sexually active with him to also put their hands up and see how big the difference is. Who, yes. <laughs> hey, with Brian Tamaki or uh, Eddie Long? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's no reason to suspect that Brian Tamaki should have known anything about this guy's um, extracurricular activities. Anyway, that's about as much time as I want to spend on Brian Tamaki. Anyone else want to say anything? No. Okay, quite possibly the most uh, prestigious prize that one can win is, of course, the Ig Nobel Prizes. The awards are handed out by the Annals of Improbable Research magazine, and that's not quite how they word it in their own literature, I think, but silly-sounding scientific discoveries that often have surprisingly practical applications. I think technically what they say is research that cannot or should not be reproduced. There's some Dunedin doctors who found that wearing socks outside of one's shoes reduced the chances of slipping on ice. And for that research, they have won an Ig Nobel Prize. I think the main reason they won it would probably be due to the fact that the response to that is, well, duh. Yes, <laughs> yes but, you know, evidence-based medicine and all that. So they won it for their publication, Preventing Winter Falls, a randomised controlled trial of a novel intervention. It's fabulous. Published in the New Zealand Medical Journal in uh, 2009. Good for Wonderful. them. And I think it actually said somewhere in here, oh, here, decided over tea with colleagues to, to, to conduct the study after discussing friends who wore socks over their shoes. So this is not something they've just come up with randomly. Apparently some people do actually put a pair of socks over their shoes to prevent them from slipping on the ice. Only in Dunedin. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that's probably fair to say. If it works, let them do it. You want to you want to rebut their gold as our um, South Island representative? <laughs> no, no, it's all good. <laughs> Dunedin's way north, way south of Christchurch. Yeah. Yep. And what do they actually win? I think they just get a chance to talk 
at the um, at the awards. I don't think they actually get any. Uh, actually, they only get one minute to talk. Yes. Oh, and then the little girl comes up and says, "You're boring me," or whatever. <laughs> I'm bored. Please stop. I'm bored. Please stop. <laughs> Yeah. In fact, that, that, there isn't actually a time limit. I think they leave it up to the little girl. Um, she, she... Uh, the time limit is one minute, and at that point, she is instructed to go out and basically, yeah, take care of things. The Goldilocks planet. Scientists have found an extrasolar planet that is in the Goldilocks zone, and according to one uh, online news article, there is a 100% chance that it contains life. Yeah, that's that's bullshit. Gold! You obviously want to say something. Uh, with it being in the Goldilocks zone, it's uh, like like the story, it's not too hot, not too cold. Um, there's the potential for water to exist in, in liquid form on the planet. And so far, everywhere we've looked, where we have found water, we have also found life. But there's no guarantee that there's water there yet. So, yeah, the, the claim of 100% is, um, yeah, I call bullshit on that one. Well, yeah. we've, we've found water on Mars, but we haven't found life there. Yet. We've also found methane. One of the things that the next uh, big probe that's going to, to Mars is going to look for is uh, the type of methane, and well, I believe it's the type of methane, and uh, the potential origins of it. Yes, indeed. Uh, clarification on that point as well. It's not water per se it's liquid water yes yeah so if there's liquid water uh and uh, and you're right Otherwise gold it's called ice or steam yes uh and you're right gold it's um 100% doesn't sound like the sort of thing that a scientist would say but i no. think it's fair enough to say that there is very very good chance that where there's liquid water there's there's life and i've just proven myself wrong the chances for life on this planet are 100%. Stephen Voigt, a UC professor of astronomy and astrophysics. I have abs- I have almost... No, no. He's contradicting himself. He has almost no doubt about it. So he says it's a 100% chance. Almost no doubt means he has a certain At percentage of doubt, right? 1%. Yes. I, I would probably blame that on the journalist that was reporting it. I mean, like, when when you are put on the spot and you've only got a certain amount of time and you you start reporting, well, not reporting, you, you start responding to questions, you'll say one thing to one question and something yes. slightly but not quite wrong to the to another question. And, you know, while, while they all match up, the, the overall intention doesn't doesn't always come through so i'd put this down to to sucky journalism yes the journalist should have sat there and thought hang on these two statements don't quite work out i'll just go Let's back not and put double them in check. the same yeah yeah i mean the, the problem is the the planet itself does have some problems for for life and that it's not rotating so it's it's got a it's got a dark side that's permanently away from its uh, star and then um, another side that's um how do they know it's not rotating well, it, it, no, 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 hang on. It, it's rotating and revolving. The planet okay, can't okay, not yes, rotate. Yes, all right. Yes. Okay, but it permanently has one face yes. facing its sun, and and therefore there's going to be one side of it that's very, very hot and one side that's very, very cold. And How do they know that? Yeah, that is a good question. Given, given that this is one of the smallest planets in a Goldilocks zone that they found, and it's rocky... But we can't see these planets, so I'm wondering: is this a? It's a 
120 where, where trillion that miles so away. Come from? <laughs> yeah, it's 20 light years away. Um, doesn't say anything about how they actually managed to pick it up, but the various methods that I've heard of is things like um, the dimming of the light from the sun as the planet passes in front of it, and things like the wobble in the in the orbit of or the suns don't orbit, do they? What am yes, I they do. Okay, so the the wobble as the planet goes around the sun is another way of of determining whether there's planets there or not. But you are right; they they, they do not have. A, a, an optical telescope pointed at this planet. I, I didn't think we had the resolution yet to be able to make that sort of determination. I'd love to be proven wrong. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do some research. And... But uh, I might might have to do some checking on, on that after after we finish recording. If you find something out, record it and send it to us, and we'll stick it in next week, next month. It's not okay. Goldilocks. You do know that, don't you? What? It's not called Goldilocks. No, it's in the Goldilocks zone. Oh, yeah. It's 581G. Or it's it's Goldilocks inverted commas, so yes. It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Well, why not call it Goldilocks? It's the first one we've found. I think uh, it's good as name as any. Because it's already got a name. That's why. <laughs> we could call it Earth Two. That was right. a good movie. Um, it's it's got a designation. I wouldn't call it a name. Uh, okay. Yes. So yes, a very exciting day for astronomy. Oh, and and in fact, according to Wikipedia, it does not have an individual name. Ah. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, well, maybe your name will be adopted then. Well, it's hardly my name. <laughs> if I was going to name it, I'd call it something really stupid, just to be a dick. But like, like what? Come on, you're on the spot. Now, now you're Nathan. now you now you're putting me on the spot, and I'm going to say the wrong thing. So no. Yes, and then we're going to report it out of context and get it all wrong. <laughs> and someone on a podcast somewhere is going to. We we could be journalists. <laughs> well podcast is the new journalism isn't it or what do they call it okay now a friend of mine pointed me at this <laughs> what's Shut his up, friend's Craig? name <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i don't think this uh, this article is particularly new um but it does tie in with another one that just came out the other day so i thought i'd uh, mention it briefly um orgasms and migraines and um i might have to pass this on to susie actually because this looks a bit complicated for me <laughs> I'm very tired, excuse me. Susie, <laughs> please summarise that for us. Okay. Occasionally orgasm can trigger a migraine, but in others it can relieve a migraine. So this was a clinical case histories of some patients basically looking, asking whether um, orgasm relieved their migraines. So, okay, so we've got one person who is um, somebody with recurring headaches and um, she... About the last five years, about 90% of the time when she has an orgasm, she immediately develops a headache. Right. right. Then the second person... That would be person, a strong disincentive. Yeah. Then the second person... <laughs> that sucks so badly. <laughs> so to speak. So this is, this is hilarious, actually, because the first person is a woman who, if she has sex, has an... Sorry, if she has an orgasm, has a headache. The second patient is a man who has uh, migraines... But if he has an orgasm, they go away straight away. So they're basically um, described in this paper as being on uh, on either side of the spectrum. And um, I thought I saw something else that actually that did a study about how many people had... Oh yeah, here it is, sorry. It's basically a table that says relief of migraine with sexual intercourse in women. So 10% of women had complete relief if they had an orgasm, I guess. Or no, sexual intercourse are so not the same thing. Well, <laughs> they are when I do it. <laughs> so 
so she says. <laughs> and how many people? Three three percent felt worse. Well, I think six cures a headache. So. Oh, well, there we go. That's your anecdotal evidence. <laughs> the upshot of the article. What I wanted to say was that there's now no more excuse for your wife to say. I can't tonight because I have Dr. a headache. Dr. Couch's data suggests that some women who decline not tonight I have a headache may be avoiding an effective treatment. Right. <laughs> Although I, th- I suspect now from what you've said that I may be um, generalising too much, maybe. I think so. I think that's a stretch to draw so of the pe- so, okay, so 10%... Yeah, but now there's always the excuse not tonight because I don't want a headache. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on which of the camps you fall exactly, into. Exactly, exactly. And, and is... Did, did the article actually um, say that this is a consistent effect in the person? Uh, so does so every time they them always give you a headache or always relieve your headache? Well, no, that, so that's that's not in here at all. Okay. It's just the case study lady was the one who had 90% of the time she had an orgasm, she had the headache. The guy was, um, it just said, if he has an orgasm, the headache goes away within minutes. And then the data is purely... the percentage of women and then their degree of relief so 10% had complete relief if they had sex 5% had moderate relief 7% had temporary relief no relief 28% worse 3% yes so I guess so the moral of the story is you know if you, ha- if you have a headache try it because you're you're more likely to be better off than worse off that's what I wanted you to say okay there okay. you go so the recent uh, article which I thought would make it worth doing and I'm going to pass this on to Susie because this is her area of expertise not <laughs> genetic cause found for migraines okay so basically some researchers funded by the Medical Research Council in the UK have found a genetic defect in a key to be a key cause of migraines in some sufferers so they've identified a specific gene called Tresc um, found in a family suffering from migraines So if the gene known as Tresc does not work properly, it can more easily trigger sensitive pain centres in the brain and cause a severe headache. So is it causing a headache or is it simply making the headache worse? Um, It does says that if Tresc does not work properly, it can more easily trigger sensitive pain centres in the brain and cause a severe headache. So it suggests that Tresc does something that um, means this doesn't happen. Is there actually a clinical definition between headache and migraine? Yeah, this isn't there something to do with also kind of seeing things? Yeah, so that's what someone said the other day. Auras and stuff. Yeah. So is this something that's going to help them develop maybe a... Well, it, it's now... So I guess once you've got a molecular target, so you can now find... So, okay, so what does Tresc do? Is it something that you can supplement? You know, is it is it is it does it give you a key to the pathway? So can you then find things that will target that pathway? That's how you develop interventions. So good news for migraine sufferers on two counts. <laughs> well, assuming they're prepared to have some sort of genetic therapy, perhaps. Yes. Well, why wouldn't you? Or sexual therapy. <laughs> During sex, the blood rushes to and remains in one's groin for a period of time, relieving some of the pressure of the blood in the vessels of the brain, which is swollen and pushing against nerves. So maybe that's why people aren't getting the headache. Hmm. And maybe you could slash your wrist as well, and that would uh, <laughs> reduce the pressure. The completely unnecessary sceptical <laughs> podcast does not advocate the slitting of one wrist or bloodletting of any sort for the relief of migraine or other headache. 
We can build whatever animal you want to eat, say scientists. Tinker with the genetics of salmon and maybe you can create a revolutionary new food source that could help the environment and feed the hungry. Okay, what they've done is they've added a growth hormone from a Chinook salmon that allows the fish, this is the salmon that they've been playing with, allows it to produce its growth hormone all year round. Like a goldfish in a big pond. Relate, which creates a bigger fish, obviously more food. Conventional salmon only produce the growth hormone some of the time. Uh, critics, blah blah blah, who cares what they think? Uh, <laughs> Typically the critics are other scientists, and it's probably not worth just dismissing that part. Well, they could be, but um, one of their concerns is... Oh, the two main concerns, the safety of the food to humans, and the salmon's effect on the environment. Because the altered fish has never been eaten before, they say, it could include dangerous allergens, especially because seafood is highly allergenic. So I guess that... Oh, that's a bit of a crap argument. Well, I thought so. They also worry that the fish will escape and intermingle with the wild salmon well, population, which is already endangered. Actually, no, that would be great, because if that happened and it got out into the wild and it just kept growing and growing and growing, we may end up with salmon the size of whales. <laughs> That would bring the, the, the price of salmon But that would right be down. bad if it also produces dangerous allergens. <laughs> and then no one can eat any salmon anymore, because this one obviously is going to have an advantage over the natural salmon, and it's going to... Um, Outcompete them. Thank you, yes. It's going to um, survival of the fittest on their asses. <laughs> it would fill a different niche, though, if it grew really, really big, though. Possibly. Different areas. Yeah. The main reason I think that's not such a great argument is simply the fact that the people who grow these salmon must surely be aware of this possibility and are therefore taking every possible precaution to make sure that that doesn't happen. The same thing that we've been doing with genetically modifying foods for years. Thing is, you can't take into account accidents. No, no you can't. I don't know. I'm just a big fan of genetically modified food. So the other thing is that the um, FDA are currently discussing this about whether or not they're going to give it approval <laughs> I love the way that they call it the frankenfish <laughs> that's not the FDA that's the opponents no, calling the it FDA, the, I'm calling it frankenfish opponents um, are calling it a frankenfish which is fairly um, typical emotive argumentation from the um, from the anti-GM they just put franken on the front of anything so wander around with scary looking masks on handing out their pamphlets so how does this make it taste like anything you want it to taste like? Oh, right, well, that's a good question. That's the nonsense um, it's not. It's not that. Approval of the salmon would open the door for a variety of other genetically engineered animals, including an environmentally friendly pig that is being developed in Canada, or cattle that are resistant to mad cow disease. Yeah, what but again, that's saying nothing is, that... that ta- I mean, when you, when you said that, I thought you meant, I don't know... That you could get everything to taste like chicken. <laughs> no. Oh, I was thinking, you know, make it taste like a dinosaur, or make it, make it taste like something, no. you know, that you don't. Expect. I see what you mean. Make it taste like strawberries. What's your point of comparison for make it taste like a dinosaur? <laughs> Just... The Brontosaurus burger from the Flintstones. <laughs> point of the article is that they can basically grow and genetically engineer any animal to make it more of it or bigger, better for some reason. Tasty, tasty meat. With GE animals, their DNA has been altered to produce a desirable characteristics. 
so you could grow things bigger. So, so maybe the headline say, was was poorly worded. But it's also important to say that the salmon have been they've been engineered so that they're only female and they have three sets of chromosomes, so they're sterile. Right. Good. So they can't interbreed with the wild population. What is the name of that the, of of the cattle that is basically like ninety percent of its masses is muscle? I know it's not ninety percent, but yeah, there was some genetic modification. What's that the called? That, that... that wasn't genetic modification. That was the same sort of thing, but it was just genetically selected through selective breeding, which is genetic engineering, except you're selecting for it instead of editing it manually. Right. Yes. Yes, and there, I guess there's an argument in some um, in some camps that um, genetic engineering is probably safer because you're uh, you know, you know exactly what you're doing. You know, you know exactly what you're introducing and stuff, as opposed and to and you're being much more direct things. and yeah. one gene at a time. Now, I don't know what salmon normally looks like, but there's a photo on this article, and if that's what a salmon normally looks like, then they are ugly fish. <laughs> and if it's not, then these people may in fact be justified in referring to it as a frankenfish <laughs> because this is an ugly. This um, is a Chinook salmon. It's an ugly ass fish. It's, <laughs> I mean, I'm not that fish are particularly attractive normally, but um, it's a it's a weird looking fish. Susie had a couple that you wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. So the first um, I just want to mention is a an article in um, PLOS Medicine, which is an, a peer reviewed open access journal published by the Public Library of Science, so anybody can find it. The article is entitled, Does it matter who writes science, uh, medical news stories? And it's basically um, a survey of 1,337 medical news stories published by the Australian media between 2004 and 2009. And so they basically had a set of criteria um, that they um, were going to look at. So um, who reported it? Uh, whether they reported on the novelty or the availability of whatever intervention it was um, and various all sorts of things, whether they avoided disease-mongering, um, reporting evidence, da-da-da. And they sent each story to two of 15 reviewers, which was people who were clinicians or public health specialists, medical writers, da-da-da, and then who basically um, reviewed... So they had this... They had this um, criteria, and then they, they reviewed it on these criteria. And then if there was any dispute between the two reviewers, they got sent to a, a third reviewer. So essentially what they were trying to do was um, to ask whether the more experienced specialist health journalists wrote better quality health science stories. Um, and uh, and so the surprising surprising answer, not is of course it matters who writes new stories um, and that stories written by the specialist health journalists were superior to those written by other groups and um, they basically suggest that in times where um, the media is in a state of flux and done in your pressure there's pressure to economize that you um, might want to improve health reporting by better training journalists um, about evidence-based medicine so um, there you go it was kind of a nice thing and it made it into a very nice publication. So the great thing about PLOS is that you can comment on the story um, or you can see its metrics. So um, there have been 5,583 views of this article since its publication two weeks ago. 
so there's certainly lots of people reading it and downloading it but they're probably all scientists they're probably not journalists anyway um, is that a big number for an article on POS? Um, it's not bad oh okay so two other stories I want to talk about first is um, something from this weekend's Herald um, in their uh, weekend magazine in under fit and well uh, avoiding the perils of electric avenue Jill South visits a dowsing consultant who alerts her to the unhealthy appliances in her home. I remember a song from the 80s called... Uh, Electric Avenue, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she is now the proud owner of a bioharmonizer, or geopathic stress balancing coil, having visited um, environmental consultant Albino Gola. Um, he basically cites... The World Health Organization is saying that 80% of cancers are now living. Um, are, uh, sorry, environmental pollutants cause 80% of cancers. Um, is that what the, the WHO this is, said? This is this is what he cites the WHO as saying. I haven't gone and found that information. Environmental. Um, that makes sense. His concern is that man-made electric magnetic fields can interfere with the human signal, the static that uh, may affect the body's the ability signal. to stay in tune and healthy. Um, so if people are exposed to cell phones, home safety alarms, computers, they can lead to body pain, neck and back problems, tiredness, depression, headaches and loss of memory. Wow. So That's um, all very vague yeah. and unspecific, isn't it? Uh, there's a great bit, though, where she's... Um, we talk about a number of unhealthy items I have in my house, like my electric blanket. So apparently, case studies have shown that static magnetic fields from metal around the bed can cause insomnia and chronic fatigue. I don't use the electric blanket in the summer when I'm well. Could there be a link? Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, does anyone so use bit. an electric blanket in summer? Show of hands. So, um, uh, well, this Susan's guy... not in the room, but yes, she does. <laughs> in summer? Yeah. Wow, okay. Anyway, so I found a little bit of information on Albina Golo. He's a building biologist. I have no idea what one of those is. An electrobiology environmental inspector and dowsing consultant. More made up words. <laughs> Life member and past president of the New Zealand Society of Dowsing and Radionics. Holy shit, we have one. Apparently <laughs> so. Uh, what, what's fabulous is he became interested in the field originally because of his own health problems. Um, well, I insert mental. But <laughs> there you go. Um, a friend suggested he contact a colour healer. Rather sceptically, he sent a sample of his handwriting and a small piece of hair to the healer who lived 150 miles away. Sorry, can Two I just weeks... say that that's not the sceptical thing to do? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Two weeks later, exact... his good health had returned though, Nathan. Oh, oh, well, it's a proper test then. Regression to the mean. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he's basically um, a person who does this and he's got himself into the Weekend Herald. But, yes... It's, it's just hilarious. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, then and I now it's time for <laughs> Susie Rats About the Ponsonby News. News. We I'd should like come up with an intro for that. I, we should do. Last month I mentioned that there were 16,987 copies published. That might be a slightly different number to last month, actually, but this month it's 16,987. What I want to mention this month is that it's not a flash in the pan. Because this month's edition is the 21st anniversary, years-wise. 1989 it started. So it's not... Um, it goes on and on. Anyway, okay. All that you've missed out on. <laughs> I was going to say, you have to order all the... Hey? Well, that's quite oh, possible. Oh, okay. You have to go through okay. all the back issues, Susie. No, and, um... no. But it's now available online, and they're, ah. they're doing an iPad... 
I still can't say that word without Googling. An iPad version. Um, I mean, oh, it's crazy. Anyway, okay. So there's just three things I'd like to mention this month. Only three. Only three. Um, but they're goodies. So um, the each month they have um, this doctor, in inverted commas, Adjit, um, who is Australasia's most experienced... Oh, I can never say this. Ayurver- Ad- Ayurvedic. Ayurvedic. Ayurvedic practitioner. And so this month, this month, this month, um, the question is about somebody who basically is saying she dreads the arrival of spring because it aggravates her allergies and she ends up with a runny nose and eyes. This sounds to me like hay fever. Yeah. Anybody yes. else think this might that be hay fever? Hay fever to me. Not according to I'm not doctor, a doctor in inverted commas, Adjit, who, um, of course, it's all down to her incompatible lifestyle. But not only that, it's due to. Um, her eating bad food so cold damp moist heavy sticky food on a regular basis like bread cheese peanut butter drinks juice smoothies tomato sauce and various other cold meat and coffee yeah so you shouldn't keep all these things in the fridge (laughs) (laughs) but he goes on about how it's basically all these things (laughs) sorry okay i'm gonna read it during spring when the weather gets warmer um, oh no, hang on, sorry, I have to back up. Okay, these foods increase mucus in the body, particularly in the winter season, so creating an imbalance. During spring, when the weather gets warmer, that accumulated mucus starts melting and wants to come out through the nose and eyes. Oh, <laughs> you're crazy! So he basically suggests what you should do, and you shouldn't eat these things. You should eat warm cooked foods, <laughs> warm cooked foods in winter <laughs> and early spring. Uh, you should drink warm water. <laughs> Oh, and you should go and see him because he obviously and will help he wants you. Your money. So it's quite interesting. There's two things we have to say about this man. Okay. So first of all, on the one page of the Ponsman News, he's basically explaining away, um, you know, quite well-known phenomenon of uh, of allergies to pollen and you know inflammatory responses. Da 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 da. Stuff that's um, well known, well tested. Yeah. On the second page, so on 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 the back of that. Um, is a little uh, advert to somebody who says, say goodbye to hay fever, who who admits that it's caused by pollen and things like that, <laughs> but who thinks that it's because of your breathing. And if you learn to breathe properly and you go to one of their things, they can help you overcome it. Oh, no. Right. You should breathe out and then in instead of the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's also a, uh, a similar theory that you can cure your asthma. It's the same changing, people. Changing it's the, the way same you people. breathe. Yeah. It's the same people. I think the asthma thing, there's probably something into helping people, like it's probably when you're having an asthma attack, you start to panic and that doesn't help your breathing. So I think they kind of learn techniques on how to control that stuff. Whether that's going to help your pollen allergy is kind of another... And 99% of your breathing is done unconsciously Unconsciously, by your brain. The thing I read about the breathing was that uh, asthma was caused by people getting too much oxygen because they were breathing too much. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it said in the book okay. that I read. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the other thing I want to say about Dr. Edget, which is important. So first of all, he has a bachelor of oh this word I can never say, uh, medicine and surgery, which is a medical degree in India. So it is a medical degree in India, which where they're taught integrated, this <laughs> traditional Bullshit. and modern medicine. Sure. Um, but what's really important is it's not recognised in New Zealand. So, so and, not a doctor. and in fact, on the uh, on Wikipedia, I'm gonna I'm gonna bow down to Wikipedia. They they give the they give them a title which is not doctor. So they they aren't 
it looks to me like they shouldn't be called doctor. So but anyway. does he have to put quotes around the doctor? You, he should. But what's really important for us is that he is seeking um, election to the um, the Manukau District Health oh, Board as God, part of no. this month's things. So there was an article in the New Herald saying that his his use of the title doctor is controversial, especially because he's putting himself forward as a doctor in, you know, everybody gets this and booklet right. um, and he'll be saying, I'm a doctor, where in New Zealand he is not medically, he's not, he's not, you know, he's not qualified to practice medicine and he has this well-being clinic, which is not well, does medicine. That, does that disqualify him from running if he's lied in the little booklet? Um, I don't know. And maybe sure, we should some be, rules yeah, maybe we should be raising this. It ought to be a law. Now, speaking of the little booklet, did everyone see the, the nut jobs? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. We could talk about the nut jobs. I probably Just really summer. quickly. <laughs> um, where is... Well, we have... We have um... For those for those listeners who may not even be in New Zealand or outside of Auckland, Thank there you. is an election going on at the moment. Yes. Mayor of Auckland. Mayor of all of Auckland, because we're now becoming a super city, rather than a whole bunch of individual seven cities so everyone's been sent this little orange booklet and inside it's got all the people that are running for mayor and a little um, half page blurb um, where they get to explain why they should be mayor Um, now I have no idea who to vote for I don't really care about politics so I went through and I read everybody and I found I found these two in particular that I thought if there's any chance of them getting in it would be worth voting against them just to make sure they didn't. One is Phil O'Connor, and the thing underneath it is Christians Against Abortion, which I guess is the... Oh, yes. I definitely didn't it? vote the, for him. <laughs> the, the ticket that they're running under, or whatever you call it. And he doesn't say anything that makes any logical sense to him being elected as mayor. So I'm just going to read this Except really that quickly. he's against abortion. I believe everyone, especially Christians, are asked to place God's concerns above human affairs. To place the lives of unborn Christian, uh, unborn children <laughs> above waterfront idols and rates. To place the souls of mothers and fathers above transport systems and city development. I believe we are asked to live faith through action rather than words. The largest, surprisingly enough, the largest, largest proportion of the 18,000 abortions that occur in this country annually happen in Auckland City. Oh, who'd have thought? Auckland City has the largest population, but anyway... Um, As voters, we bear responsibility for this. It is my promise that when elected mayor, I will do everything in my power to bring to to an end legalised abortion in Auckland. So he's not. So it'll be legal everywhere else. Because the mayor of Auckland won't have any say. You'd think. Yes. (laughs) Will my vote for CAA be useful? Yes. Together we will step out in faith, asking the Lord, who fed five thousand people on a few loaves and fishes. To bring, in, to bring to an end the slaughter of a generation, and you at least will have put God's concerns first. My <sighs> question is, the only question I have about that, is how the hell does he think that he's going to get elected mayor by writing that down and putting it in the little booklet? Well, because presumably the people who go, my God, you're right! Yeah, all, all seven of them. Well, then that's fine. So let them vote. He's not going to get elected mayor, no. but simply by standing for mayor and having you read that out on live on a podcast. He, he, he has advanced his cause. Yeah, you're probably right. 
So really, we should cut this entire segment. <laughs> he doesn't put a photo in the booklet. So I wonder whether that's because they're worried that people like us Hunt might down and beat him laugh at him laugh point at him, at him in the yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> they're losing are you that guy out of the book <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were going to elect a beer the pro-choice movement is definitely uh, known for its violence against him. Yes. <laughs> so the other one that I, I thought was really really um, again not really helping her cause to try and get elected um, and she's communist league just selected phrases out of this one. The capitalist economic crisis is devastating the lives of working people. We need to take political power out of the hands of the capitalist rulers. Um, I don't know, some of our listeners... Who is this? Uh, this is... Anna Lucia Vermint. Vermint. Yeah, Vermin? we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't claim to be particularly yeah. uh, politically savvy, but um, I'm pretty sure that communism is... Stupid. Now, oh, if there's communists, we, uh, let's not go there. Yeah, if there's communists go. listening, feel free to write in and tell me why I'm wrong. But um, yeah, that's just on to a Throw that in there, and we're running way, way over time. So you want to? I have one last, one last Ponsonby news thing. So back to Susie's Ponsonby news. It's Sorry. the last thing. It's just me ranting about John Appleton again, who's the health correspondent in inverted commas, and this time he's talking about uh, vitamin B and uh, Alzheimer's. Um, I haven't looked in this there might be something in this is fine but there's there's just a couple of things I'd like to state about this so he he states so he gives a whole load of stuff about why he's going to take um, his vitamin B I need to go back over past Ponsby News and find out how many vitamins he's taking because <laughs> he says that he takes um, B vitamins together with something else another well-researched nutrient and omega-3 in the form of high potency fish oil which we know also doesn't work anyway so those are just the ones he's taking today, but I'm pretty sure he was taking something else, as well as his high-dose vitamin C the week before, and da-da-da. That's because costing well, you've got to make sure yeah. But there's something really, really silly about this. So he, um, he writes, Just last week, another article crossed my desk. Article crossed my desk. This time from the Daily Mail in England. It was headed, 10 people to beat Alzheimer's disease, and it talked about da-da-da-da. He talks about the Daily Mail as though it's a legitimate for, so, source, of news. Yeah, source of, of news, which as someone from the UK, the Daily Mail is just so not. It is, you know, the newspaper that is trying to categorise every everything in life into whether it causes or cures cancer. I mean, it's just, it's the complete nonsense. Maybe maybe you should give us a heads up on the uh, hierarchy of newspapers. I uh, maybe, maybe I should because he's crazy. Which, which ones are to be trusted? And yeah, but w- don't reading they have him, the, the 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 Weekly World News isn't that one of the best newspapers <laughs> in the UK? <laughs> yes, but it, it's funny because this tied in very nicely to a science story I wanted to tell everybody about, um, which was uh, basically about a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori, which for um, People on this side of the world should have heard about this because it was basically an Australian doctor who he... It's probably a bit of a conspiracy about um, pharmaceutical industry. But anyway, for many years he said, this bug causes stomach ulcers, gastric ulcers, and and he was kind of shooed Mm, down and he ended up drinking some, causing it, taking a course of antibiotics, showed it cleared up, and and it was fantastic. It was really good. Um, Anyway, so here Helicobacter pylori causes gastric... um, 
ulcers is also linked to stomach cancer i think or you know cancers around there but anyway i was i read this wonderful article in um an online journal and the title is vitamin b6 is required for film full motility and virulence in helicobacter pylori so basically vitamin b6 is required for this organism to cause disease in the gut and it just made me think of all these people who are taking vitamin supplements um so what i haven't what I haven't found out is whether actually if you've got excess vitamin B, whether this whether causes this will it to cause more. it. Yeah. yeah right. um, but basically, this is a bacteria that um, has enzymes that are involved in the synthesis of vitamin B, vitamin B6. Um, and basically, these are absolutely required. So if you knock these out, this organism can't cause disease anymore. So it just made me think about whether, yeah. So I should stop eating my Vegemite. <laughs> That's B12, isn't with, it, Vegemite? With the too, too much of it. There are lots of bees, yeah. Anyway, that, so rant over. Thank you. And now we have an interview with the brand spanking new cheer entity of the New Zealand Skeptics, Gold. Hello. Gold. <laughs> Welcome to the cusp. Thank you. Um, so, you are the new cheer entity. I'm the current incarnation of the cheer entity. To start with, um, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Background, who are you, what do you do in the real world? Primarily, I'm a web developer. Um, I've been doing that since about 94, 95. Um, went to Australia in 2000 and started working in uh, open source uh, systems like PHP and MySQL and Linux and just started living and breathing that and have been ever since. And while I was in Australia, um, I came across a Skeptic's Guide to the Universe and that was pretty much my introduction to the whole sceptical side of things. And of course, uh, you're also uh, the web... What's the word I'm looking for? Webmaster. You're, you're the, thank you. You're the webmaster for the CUSP website. Yes, I am. Very, very generously donating um, that free website. I um, spent five years in Australia and consumed as many podcasts and blogs as I could and still do. When I got back to New Zealand, I came across the Skeptic Society and there wasn't really any social aspect to it. And I'd heard about this thing called Skeptics in the Pub, so I did a bit of digging into that and checked up on meetup.com to see how many Skeptics were registered in Christchurch, and there were a handful. Um, at this stage, I did know Vicky. Uh, and used her contacts and the New Zealand Skeptics mail list and meetup.com. And between all of those, I set up the first Christchurch Skeptics in the Pub meetup. And we got about 30 to 40 people sharp for the first one, which was pretty good. We don't get those sorts of numbers every time. Um, whenever we have a well-advertised speaker, the numbers peak. But uh, typically we get between uh, 12 and 25 people on a on a night now. We're holding them fortnightly now as well, alternating Mondays and Tuesdays. So if you're in Christchurch, um, head along to skepticsinthepub.net.nz and you'll be able to find us there. And actually you'll be able to find Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin meetups from that page. But yeah... Um, Started going to conferences. I uh, went to the Wellington conference in 2009. 
um, and went to the Brisbane conference shortly after that, where they announced that the next one was going to be a TAM, which is coming up at the end of November this year. Um, what else have I been to? Went to the Auckland conference, where I was uh, announced as the current incarnation of the chair entity of the New Zealand Skeptic Society. There was an actual election uh, as well, I think, wasn't there? Sort of? There, there, there was a vote. There was a call for other people to, if if anybody else wanted to step up. <laughs> so, I kind, I kind of got it by default. Yes. But nobody, nobody objected, which is no, no, which was nice. And yeah, my next thing is Tam Australia at the end of November. So I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a bit of a conference addict, but uh, loving it nevertheless. You've got to be addicted to something. I think you could do worse than skepticism. <laughs> Oh, skiing. It's expensive. I just discovered that I really like skiing, like, two weeks ago. And, um, yeah, yet another hobby I can't afford. <laughs> well, luckily, summer's going to put an end to that. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which gives me a whole half year to start saving for next next winter. Before you discovered the official scepticism movement, do you think you would uh, have classified yourself as a sceptical person? Yes, um, absolutely. I'm one of those people that... Uh, never really realized that there was a word for the way I think about the world until I came across the skeptics movement and then I realized there was. And um, how long have you had the name Gold? Oh, yes. Tell us about Ooh, the history of um, the name. 96, I think, was when I changed so that. Just to clarify for those who haven't heard the previous episodes where we were talking about this, your name is Gold. Yes, I have no first names. In this country, you so have it's... to have a religious or philosophical reason for having just one name. And I gave the philosophical reason of it's the name that my entire social group knows me as, and they're the people that matter in my life, and I believe that I should be able to be legally recognized as the person they know me as. And they accepted it. Right. Oh, that's great. Um, so uh, that probably is a bit of an irrelevant question, but is it technically your first name or your last name? Technically, it's my surname. So on your, on your driver's license and so forth? On my driver's license, it's my surname. On my passport, it's my surname. And and is it just blank on uh, the first name? Depends. Um, whenever there's a form on a computer that can't handle no first name, I try and use Citizen. So if you ever come across Citizen Gold online, that's me. The driver's license has a dot in my first name field. My <laughs> previous passport had XXX. <laughs> <laughs> Triple X and, and I would like to say that I had that name before Vindina. <laughs> ah, yes. And uh, my current passport has nothing. So they, oh, nice. they obviously fixed whatever problem. They fixed the system to handle you. <laughs> yes, yes. I, just, I think I'm Him going and to, Madonna. to go with that explanation. They fixed it to accommodate me. Did you feel a bit nervous stepping into Vicky's shoes, as it were? I still <laughs> still feel a bit nervous having stepped into Vicky's shoes. Um, I'm I'm not very good in front of crowds. Um, anybody that was that is listening that was at the uh, at the the con conference will know that quite well. But uh, I can quite happily sit in a crowd and address the crowd. But I'm I'm not terribly good at standing in front of crowds and talking which is something I'm really going to figure out how to get over before well, the so. next conference. Yes. <laughs> Either that or you'll be voted out. <laughs> <somebody better. laughs> 
somebody that can talk in front of a crowd. Um, Vicky was kind enough to stay on as media spokesperson as well, so she will still be the the, the face of the Skeptic Society, um, which I'm I'm eternally grateful for. Thank you, Vicky, yes. if you're listening. I'm sure she but, is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the Skeptic Society has always sort of had a a Christchurch regional sort of flavour to it, I suppose. Do you see that changing? Um. I'm not sure. I think, I think how you've you got mean? a false premise there, Craig. I don't think that's necessarily true at all. Well, uh, well, I th- yeah, I, th- I think it seems to have been centred around Vicky in, in Christchurch. As as well, and the atheist bus campaign there, their Christchurch and the Goldman's uh, Christchurch. No, 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 no atheist bus campaigns Wellington. Oh, Wellington, sorry. Oh, okay. Is it Wellington or Auckland? Yeah, I think Simon's from Wellington. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, apologies, apologies for not knowing... Well, that's right, we'll cut that Anything out. south of Auckland. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea, category. Gold, how is awful it is having of the to Bombay deal Hills? with Aucklanders all the time. It's, it's, it's God. just comes under the rest of the country. Yes. So, tell us about your big, ambitious plans for the future of the New Zealand Skeptics. Ooh. Um, <laughs> you have to kill us. This, this hasn't actually been discussed on the, the committee list yet, but uh, what I'm hoping that we will tackle, I'm like, I'd, I'd like to think that each year we sort of pick something and, and address it. Um, and if we haven't in the past, um, I'd, I'd like to uh, make a tradition out of doing this sort of thing. So what, what I'm hoping for is that we tackle ACC um, they're keeping they're, they're talking about constant cutbacks on stuff and they're cutting back the wrong things there's this this the support for alt med stuff in ACC is it's not huge but it's still there um, I don't believe there's any support for homeopathy or anything like that but I do believe that they cover acupuncture and chiropractic and other forms of woo that just don't have any grounding in reality or have actually been proven not to work. So, and- Gold, um, I, don't, I don't know whether you heard, but last month um, Craig suggested we have September and perhaps we, the the um, this should be the, you know, tie in with this, that if you think every year the New Zealand skeptics should have a goal that perhaps it should culminate in some kind of in some kind of activity in September. Hmm. Just like we have a New Zealand Music Month, then maybe yeah. September could be our month yes. where the, where our activity peaks. Yes. Indeed. But yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. Throw throw it up on the committee list. It's definitely definitely worth addressing. Oh, a little bit more on the ACC side of things. Um, the thing that irked me was hearing that ACC had changed the subsidies, changed the subsidy program for he- uh, hearing aids. Apparently, if you're old and need a hearing aid, you don't get subsidized as much anymore. This was one of the cuts that ACC made. And yet they still support acupuncture and chiropractic. I, I, 
I don't understand this. We should we should check whether any acupuncturists are um, suggesting acupuncture might help hearing loss. <laughs> I'm not sure there's a connection there, but the guy that started chiropractic supposedly uh, curing a guy's deafness. Right. Okay. Yeah, right, so I think there, there's a certain yeah. amount of irony there. Yeah. Yeah. Do we do we um, understand why what the rationale is for ACC doing this? But it just seems like an odd thing to just arbitrarily cut. I mean. Is it that old old people don't uh, fight I'm, back? I imagine they do have some reason, but I haven't actually looked into the reason. I just know that they've done this. And I, I did do some, some fact-checking to make sure that what I'm saying is actually correct. And, and yeah. That's the first for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Any other, any other big plans you've got coming up? Personal plans with respect to scepticism. Um... I'm in the process of becoming intentionally homeless through various events and stupid government tax policies. I, I now owe the government quite a bit of money and they were kind enough to loan it to me to pay them with. <laughs> Unbelievable. And um, yeah, so part of my plan is to become intentionally homeless so that I can put my what would normally be my rent money towards uh, the, the debt to get it cleared as soon as possible. And the idea is to hit the backpacking community. Um, I'm a web developer, so I'm going to hit the backpackers that don't have websites and basically say, I'll trade a place to sleep for a decent website and you get your first year's hosting free. And at the end of that year, I start to, well, charge them hosting. Um, but while I travel around the country doing this, I'm going to start setting up Skeptics in the Pub events all over the place, as many as I can. What's your plan date for becoming homeless? Uh, I've got a job that's currently living on my personal machine, my, my desktop machine, and as soon as that's finished and migrated back to the host server in the US, um, I no longer will be tied to that machine, and I'll be handing in my notice to the landlord at that point. So I'm estimating two to three weeks, at which point I'll be handing in a four-week notice, so six to seven weeks from now, I should be walking out the door with everything I own on my back. And I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> wow, you'd be the only one that's mental. <laughs> oh, um, I, I met uh, a friend, Lisa, through Skeptics in the Pub here in Christchurch, and she's a traveler, and I caught the travel bug. So, yeah, the, the whole idea of going backpacking just thrills me at the moment. So does, does being um, the chair entity require you to be in New Zealand? Um, well, to start with, I'm not going to be leaving the country until this debt is cleared, and I'm estimating it should probably take about 18 months to, to get cleared completely. Um, I don't actually know if there is a requirement for me to be <laughs> in the country. I, I've, I've read the Constitution. I didn't see anything in there that said that I had to be um, due to the nature of the type of work I'll be doing. I'll, I'll only take on backpackers that have a net connection. So, um, yeah, you'll always be contactable. I'll, I'll always be accessible. Okay, well, thank you very much, Gold, for joining us in the interview. Thank you. And something we just briefly want to mention that may be coming up in the very near future uh, is uh, asking for donations. And, Gold, do you want to tell us what happened there and what's going on? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, last month, we put up the... Uh, the, the latest podcast, and the server crashed. Um, 
I, I'm putting that down to everybody's RSS readers and, and podcatchers all hitting every 15 minutes and the biggest demand happening over over that very short time period. Um, but yeah, uh, probably for the 12 hours just after the podcast went out, I had to up the resources on the, the host host machine. And uh, it's a virtual machine, so we were able to just dial up the amount of RAM that was available to it. So with the, the load on the machine um, being as low as it was and the demand on the memory being as high as it was, all I can put it down to is, and, and the timing, all I can put it down to was the, the demand for that file. You know, correlation doesn't mean causation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely, I agree. But given the number of things that all came together at the same moment, I think I think there's there's some pretty good uh, evidence there to to say that that was the cause. However, I am am hosting this for free, but uh, it does affect the other sites that I've got on the machine. So hopefully within the next few weeks, I will be putting up a number of donation links. There'll be one donation for those people that just want to give a one-off fee to to help out. Um, and there'll be two subscription offers. One will be for the Cusp, and one will be for the uh, for Evolved Development, who is the web company sole proprietor, who is offering the site and the space for free. So yeah, any little bit of of subscription money will go towards the hosting costs, which basically means I will leave the amount of memory on the machine dialed up. And just because it's been pointed out to me that the terminology we were using may be a little bit confusing, the podcast will still be free for anyone who wants to download it. So there's oh, yes, no absolutely. actual subscription involved. It's just a recurring no. donation. If you would like to give us a dollar a week, a dollar a month, um, $100 a day, um, <laughs> tick whichever boxes are applicable. Um, Pay, PayPal have a very handy subscription service, which is um, makes it very, very easy for people like us to to do this sort of thing. And that's that's the service that I'll be taking advantage of. But yes, you, you will not be limited to what you have access to. Basically, it's just uh, help us if you want to. Uh, and it's probably... Uh fair to say that you're not going to stop hosting our website if you don't get any no, money, but no. um, it, would, it would help a great We're deal. We're just passing around the donation plate We are at the end of the service. Indeed. And um, God really, really wanted to donate <laughs> to, to the cast. <laughs> because we need, we need a new gold-plated BMW. Um, actually, it's, it's interesting that um, you've decided to do this as well, because it's something we were talking about as well, because there's some, some stuff that we could buy um, that would make our job a little bit easier. Um, so yeah, if you feel like donating, that would be awesome. But as of today, we've had 870 downloads of the last episode. <laughs> wow! So yeah, yes. That's that's not you guys downloading multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it probably. We thought it might be Nathan's mum. No, no my mum doesn't know anything about it. Uh, okay, so um, that just leaves us with. Actually, I found one more story. Which is really important. It's a really, it's a three-liner, and it's to apologise for Simon to not knowing he was in, for not knowing he was in Wellington. 
the Director of Human Rights Proceedings considered the complaint against New Zealand bus, so this is to do with the atheist bus campaign, and agreed that in his view the law supports the position that the bus company's refusal to display the no God advertising constitutes oh, prima facie discrimination on the grounds of ethical belief under the Human Rights Act of 1993. Woohoo! After consideration of the issues and alternatives, the Humanist Society of New Zealand, on behalf of the Society and the No God Advertising Group, has accepted the director's offer to represent the case to the Human Rights Review Tribunal. Well, well done, done, Simon. So we haven't won per se, but no? we've got someone to help us. The director of the human rights proceedings. Somebody's given us their professional opinion yep. about human rights. Yeah, and, yep. that, and um, it's now going forward. So we have a case and it's going to be argued. Yep. So we can spend all our money on lawyers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but given given the, the nature of the person that has stepped up to actually represent us. Pretty good. That's, it's a yep. moral victory. That's pretty good. Yep. Now we just need to go for the financial victory. Punitive damages too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> for hurt feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Emotional trauma, stress, <laughs> something. Okay, so that just leaves us with the word of the day. And J is a horrible letter. I'm sorry, this is the best I could find. It is jactitation, which is either a tossing, twitching, or jerking of the body. <laughs> Calm down, Susie. Followed by orgasm. <laughs> and no migraine. Or... A false claim. Well, which one is it? It's, it's both. It's, it's a semicolon. Jactitation. A tossing, twitching, or jerking of the... I'm not going to be able to read this out, am I? You guys are hopeless. Like children. Or a false claim. Which I thought was at least vaguely relevant to scepticism. So that's all I want to say about that. And Craig, have you got a quote for us? I do. The quote is, the fact that a believer is happier than a sceptic is no more to the point than the fact that a drunken man is happier than a sober one. <laughs> George Bernard Shaw. Marvellous. Nice. And you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us some feedback or some suggestions. Or money. Or money. <laughs> check out the cusp.org.nz. Hey! What do I do? Can I afford a thing I can be? Hate interviews. Deep in my heart, I am more.